You know, I, I know that, uh, by the way, congratulations, we can all celebrate Christmas together now because it's officially legal for everybody. And because uh, I know so, how many of you have been celebrating Christmas? Like you've been playing your music. You probably put your tree up in October and you're like Christmas cheer in September. And how many holdouts like me are like not till after Thanksgiving? Boom. There we go. I got a lot of friends in here. And, uh, you know, so the good news is that now we can all enjoy Christmas music and there doesn't have to be uh, some uh, frustrations that come from that. And uh, we're all in the Christmas mood now. We're all together. And so, you know, and I know that there are a lot of really enjoyable things, a lot of festive things that we do uh, at this time of year. And so uh, Dara was driving my kids around last night and uh, they went and they drove by this house and she was telling me about it. And right as they, uh, this song, it was one of those where you drive up and you turn your radio on to it. And so the song was ending right as they got to the house and then the Star Wars music comes on and the, the lights start doing all this stuff on the house. And my kids thought we were, con- that they were controlling the music, they thought it was the coolest thing. And they're like, dad, we have to go back tomorrow. And uh, so guess what I'm doing tonight? And, um, you know, and so there's all kinds of things like that that are just fun, right? And the holidays, uh, and there's so much good things that do come out of it. But also there can, there has a potential also to be some baggage with the holidays. And, um, you know, and so I really want to share today with you, not so much about this per se, but I have to tell you the problem so I can tell you the solution to it. And, uh, and so that's my goal this morning. And so, you know, I know that the holidays can be tough there. It's stressful just with the busyness of the season. You know, I mean, just the run here, go there, do all of that. I got to get this. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. And, oh no, I didn't get this present for this person. Oh my gosh, that party's later today. And I'm supposed to be cooking something, right? There's just the busyness of the season, all the stress that comes with that. There's travel, there's financial pressure, Right? I mean, because it's like, we're going to have a great Christmas. I just don't know how I'm going to pay for it yet. Anybody else there? Anybody else had those thoughts? You know, you have all of that and then you throw in your family. And sometimes that can be a blessing. And sometimes that's a burden, if we're honest. And sometimes it's kind of by the moment, blessing and burden, right? I mean, it's kind of like, we were doing so well. And then it all just blew up. Like, what happened? You know, And even in this season, in this time, like I'll just, and I know she wouldn't mind me sharing this with you, but even at Thanksgiving, uh, Darren and I were driving, you know, and we were talking about the holidays and she just began to share with me. She's lost both of her parents uh, at this point. And so she was just saying, and we were talking about just the holidays and we had been with my family and, um, you know, and we were just driving back home. Right. And she was like, I don't know why, but it just hit me. Like it just hit me that I missed my parents. You know, And, and. and the holidays can do that, right? They, they, I mean, it can be this great, ecstatic, like awesome moment, but then it also can create like this void and this hole and this longing and, you know, and just of, of things that, that happen. And so it may be the loss of a parent or a close friend. Maybe it's a marriage that has dissipated, right? Maybe there was this great hope or there was this great desire, or maybe you're in a marriage and it's just not what it used to be. And the holidays, you think back, or maybe you're an empty nester and you think about when your kids were still home and the excitement of Christmas morning. And now it's just kind of, well, I guess we're going to drink our coffee. But that the joy of Christmas just kind of isn't in the house anymore. And all of these things begin to put pressure and they really can um, 
You know, and even when we're talking about that, like even the memories of the past, like the good old days, right? We hear that phrase, and yet that, those good old days can seem like a lifetime ago. And all the joy that came with it can seem like a lifetime ago. And, and really, even with the holidays and all the busyness, and you know, we can be running and going, and yet we can have an unbelievable sense of being alone. And the pandemic has only amplified this at a great, great level. I mean, uh, you go and do the research and uh, look into it. I mean, we have two pandemics going on. One of them was already before Corona. But Corona has just exacerbated it. It has just increased it exponentially, which is that people feel lonely. And the holidays have a unique way of doing that, of making you feel like you're all by yourself. I don't have anybody You can be surrounded by people and be completely alone. And so how do we walk through this? And so I want to share some things with you about this. And I think it's important, but I want to give you a little bit of research. And so loneliness, one of the definitions is this, is that it's being sad from being alone. But it also produces a feeling of bleakness and desolation. You know, loneliness and depression are two different things, but they also feed one another. You know, and when I talk about depression, I talk about it from a first-hand experience. I know what it's like to deal with depression, to battle depression, to overcome depression. I know it very, you know, I know it well. The Lord delivered me, but it doesn't mean that I haven't had to fight to stay from going back to that place. And so, but what happens is, is that you get lonely, so then you separate, and then you start getting into depression, which feeds into loneliness, which feeds into, and it's a, it's just a spiral down. And yet, and so, uh, and I'll give you some good things here in a moment, but let me just give you some research from Harvard. And they they polled about a thousand people. This was done about six months ago. And um, so it's not an exhaustive list, but they came up with, uh, from their findings was this, is that uh, the report suggested that 36% of Americans, including 61% of young people and 51% of mothers with young children feel serious loneliness. Not surprisingly, loneliness appears to have increased substantially since the coronavirus outbreak pandemic. It says the report also explores the many types of loneliness, various type or causes of loneliness, and the potential steep cost of loneliness. There's one thing to get solitude. I like solitude. I like to get away. Solitude is actually good for my soul. Like I, I need it. Like I need me in a fishing pole sometimes. Like and nobody, like me and the fish and the Lord, I'm good. But I can't let my solitude turn into isolation. Because when I get isolated, now I'm in the danger zone. Now I'm in a place where I'm really disconnected, not just from people, but also from the Lord. And, and so and it talks about here, is it, uh, where did I leave that off? The, the cost of loneliness, and it, but here's some of the call or some of the effects, if you will, of loneliness is that it's early mortality. Man, it says a wide array of serious physical and emotional problems, including depression, anxiety, heart disease, substance abuse, and even domestic abuse. A developmental psychologist, uh, I'm going to try to pronounce his name right, Niobe Way says, we are in danger of alleviating one health problem, which is the transmission of a disease while exacerbating or even complicating another even more. Why? Because what did we do? You got to shut down. 
Right? That's why I don't like the term social distancing. You can say physical distancing, fine. I'll give you that one. But social distancing, we are, we are created for relationship. And anytime that we begin to disconnect from one another, our soul is not designed for that. It's kind of like my car is not designed to be redlined all the time. Eventually, the, the engine will blow. And not too far. Why? Because it's not designed to run that way. Well, we're not re- designed to run alone. I mean, think about it. When God created Adam, he was in a perfect environment. He had nature. He had the animals. He had everything. And God said everything in creation was good until it came to Adam being alone. And then God said, hey, that's not good. He needs a helpmate. He, need, he needs somebody else around him. And so, of course, we know the story. Eve gets created. But, you know, and, and it was for what? To be his helper, to come alongside of him and to help him. And so, you know, we deal with these things, naturally speaking. And and so let me just give you like an example of this. And have you ever been in a crowd of people that you know? Not just like a big crowd at a football game or something where you might know a handful of people. But I mean like in a crowded room of people that you know. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's at church. Maybe it's with your family. And so you know everybody, but yet you feel completely alone in that room. I mean, I've been there. I can remember a number of years ago, I was in a car with some of my, like uh, all of my best friends. Probably some of the closest people that I'm with. And there were like six of us in the car. And I, you know, and there was a lot going on in our life and I was dealing with a lot mentally. And they're all laughing and we're goofing off. And I remember I'm sitting in the back seat, totally detached from everything that's going on in the car. I'm in the car with all of my closest friends and yet I'm just kind of staring out the window into space. Thinking like, this should be a lot more fun to me. Like I'm here with all my boys. We're laughing. They're cutting up. I can hear them laughing, but it's like I'm totally detached. And it's this weird moment. So just because we have people around us doesn't mean that we've connected. But we have to make some decisions in this way. And so if you've ever felt this way. Or even more so, if you feel this way right now, if the season that we're experiencing right now through the holidays and all these things, if what we're experiencing and you say, man, that's me right now. I know exactly. I've got some great news for you. I mean, it is the Christmas season and we celebrate that Jesus came. But do we really think about why Jesus came? Because the best news is, is that Jesus came so that we would never have to actually be alone. The Bible tells us about the relationship that he wants with us is that he would be the friend that would stick closer than any other. Now, there are times that I don't sense the presence of God all the time. I don't walk around in some pastoral bubble that just God is with me all the time. Because trust me, this week I've had to deal with some contractors and I'm thinking, Jesus, turn your head for a minute, right? Like, just please give me some space. Give me five good minutes. Like, you know what I'm saying? And, And so... You know, but there, there are times, but the truth is, is that God is always with us. And that even when we're talking about really processing through emotions and feelings and all of these kinds of things, is that God is with us. I mean, that's the name. One of the names of Jesus is Emmanuel. It literally means God with us. He's not just for you. He's with you. And this is important to know. You say, well, why would this happen? You know, the Bible tells us in multiple locations, and I'm going to give you the references. You can go look them up later. But in Matthew, or I'm sorry, in Mark chapter 15, I believe it's around verse 34. It's the account of Jesus on the cross. 
And for the first time in his life, he was disconnected from the father. So how do you know that? Because he said, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? And this was right before he, the Bible says, breathes his last breath. And there was a period for about, we know of about three hours while Jesus is on the cross. That what the Bible tells us, and I'll give you a loose understanding. It says that all sin of all mankind was poured upon Jesus. Well, God can, as a holy God, cannot look upon a sinful man. And so God himself had to actually look away from Jesus. And Jesus felt that separation. Well, Jesus felt that separation so that we would never have to. So that we could actually have a a real vibrant connection with God. And it doesn't mean that I live in the clouds or in fairyland. It just means that any time that I need God, I can actually lean into him and look to him and he will respond to me. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2 verse 7 and 8. It says that, that Jesus did not think of himself as being God as something to hold on to. It says, rather, he let go of who he was as God and became a man and just like us. Why? So that we could become and have what he had in a relationship. And and so we see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. It says it this way, that although he was infinitely rich, and this isn't talking about finances, that though he was infinitely rich, he impoverished himself for our sake so that by his poverty, or you could say it this way, by his lack, that we could become rich beyond measure. What these scriptures are actually talking about is the relationship, the connection with God. Both of these previous passages here in Philippians and in 2 Corinthians is that God is not holding anything back from you. He's not trying to keep you at an arm's distance. He's not saying, hey, I'll get to you later. That's not the, the nature or the heart of God. But part of, and really what I, what I hope that you, to, to share with you today, and you're like, where are you going with this? Just stick with me. And I'm telling you, we're going to come back to loneliness at the end. Because what I'm about to share with you is actually the way that you help overcome loneliness. Because this is something that we all deal with. So how do we lean into this relationship with God? Like, how do I actually experience him in a very real personal way? You have to seek him. Now, I know this is simple, but it really is that you have to seek. You have to pursue. Doesn't mean like he's running from you. Not at all. I'll give you an example of this in a moment. But uh, but let me give you a biblical example from the narrative of Scripture. And I'm, I'm just a little spoiler alert. I'm about to mess up some of your nativity scenes from around your house. I'm just going to let you know. So don't get mad at me. But. You know, we, we see that the wise men, which, by the way, there weren't necessarily three men. They brought three gifts, but there were more than three because when they traveled, they were bringing large sums of money. I'll say it that way. And large, uh, valuable things. And so they would have had an entourage with them. They did not just show up as three little guys. The Bible actually never says there were three. It just says that they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And it says that they traveled from the east, that they had seen a star, right? You know the story, hopefully. But that they saw this star and that they, they traveled from the east and, and they came. And, but they weren't at the manger scene. I hate to tell you. They weren't. I know, you know, I'm not saying go throw the wise men out from your nativity scene. Like, that's biblically inaccurate. Get it out of here. Like, I'm not telling you to do that. But, it, but they traveled actually a great distance. And, and so, but they had to. 
And, and so, and really they traveled because they wanted to honor the Lord. They wanted to honor the Messiah being born. And so, uh, you know, of course they, they brought their gifts, but this was a very significant trip for them. As a matter of fact, these, and there are several names that they're called, depending on your translation version of the Bible. Some people call it wise men. Some call it a magi. It's the same thing. Um, and, and so, but they were from the east. And so, you know, which this is the area of Mesopotamia. And so if you look at that area on a map, they've traveled approximately somewhere between 400 and 700 miles to bring Jesus some gifts. How many of you know that that's a sacrifice? That it took not just their money, but it took their time. And I don't know about you, but... I, I think about driving four to 700 miles in a car and I'm like, "Ah, I don't know if I want to do that. Think about on the back of a camel or even walking that distance, which I doubt they walk because if they had money, why would you walk? I'd go buy a camel. And obviously they had some resources. And and so, but you think about this. And and so even uh, the idea of how far and how much time that they committed just to come and to worship the Lord. To worship Jesus. So let's just say that it took 400 miles. Let's go with the the lower end. It would have taken them approximately two to three weeks on camel to get there. Can you imagine riding on a camel for several weeks to come find a baby? They were guided by the star, but, and, and that's to say that they rode the whole time. What if they walked? It would have taken them even longer. Now the story goes is that when they got to Jerusalem, many of you know this story, they, they went to Herod and we really don't know. The best I can tell you is that it took them somewhere between 40 days and two years. Nobody can tell you because and you say, well, how do you know that? Because I'm about to show you a scripture that tells you that they actually, when they saw Jesus, they came to the house. Well, because of their rituals and all these things, Mary couldn't be in public for 40 days. So they couldn't have seen her for 40 days at a minimal now, when they go to Herod, they're like, hey, we're looking for the king who's been born. And he freaks out. And, but there was something that they said to Herod. We don't know what, but he said, we're going to slaughter all the babies under two years old. So there's theories, 40 days, two years. We don't know. But there was something significant. And maybe he was playing it safe and just said, I don't know if this baby's six months old, a year and a half old. We're just going to say two years old. And they, so they slaughtered every kid under two years old. Why? Because he was intimidated and really threatened by the Messiah. That was coming. And so he gave this decree that all the babies had to be killed, which is why Jesus had to flee. Mary and Joseph fled to Egypt, which is why the wise men brought the gifts. It was for provision for their move. They didn't just show up so Jesus could be blinged out. Right? And and so there was, God had sent provision. Why? Because they were leaving everything they'd ever known. And God made provision even before Herod made the decree which tells you about the goodness of God. And God will provide for you in the same way, even before you know you have need. That's why we have to trust the Lord. And so in Matthew chapter two, verse 11, this is when the wise men, the Magi show up. And it says that they came into the house and they saw the young child. Now that, that word there when it talks about young child doesn't mean baby, it actually means probably toddler, which could be anything from four, five, six months old, up to two years. So we don't really know, but just for clarity. And it says, but, so he came into the house and they saw the young man with uh, Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they began to worship him. This is an old phrase, but yet it's still true. 
is that these wise men sought Jesus at great expense to themselves, financially, in time, in resources, in energy. And all they wanted to do was to come and honor the Lord. They were really doing it out of obedience to something that the Lord had led them to do. And by the way, they still had to turn around and go back home. So they got back on their camels and rode back another couple weeks. So think about that. Just say a month. They gave a month to come and see Jesus and to sit down with him. So there's this old phrase, and yet it's still true, which is that wise men still seek him. If we're going to be wise, we need to seek after the Lord. Why? Because God has blessing and, and benefits and relationship way beyond what we can fully comprehend. But yet we have to seek him. God is not hidden, but he's also not just going to throw everything out on a silver platter to us. There ha- why? Because he wants to be pursued. He wants to be in a relationship. Well, if it's just one-sided, it's not really a relationship. You ever tried to date somebody that didn't want to date you? How'd that work out? Did you feel loved and appreciated and accepted when they're like, nope, 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 not answering that call. Did you get my text? No, I didn't. Says you read it, you know. Well, God doesn't want that kind of one-sided relationship. He wants us to what? Actually want him. He wants us. There's no doubt about that. He wants a relationship with us, but we have to seek him. Let me read you a very uh, familiar passage of scripture, but I want to read you the last part of this as well. It comes out of Jeremiah 29, verse 11. You could probably quote it as well as I can, but it says, for I know the plans that I have for you. It says they're plans for good and not for disaster to give you hope or to give you future and a hope. And it says, and in those days, there's two statements here. He says, when you pray, I will listen. That's a promise from God. When you pray, he says, hey, I'm going to pay attention to your prayers. I will. God is not a man that he should lie. He will not lie. He will do it. He says, if you pray, I will listen. He says, and if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. See, when we talk about seeking God, it's not like this great treasure map. God says, look, if you take the first step, I'm coming to you. I just need you to seek me. And if you seek me with your whole heart, which really speaks to a pure motive, God says that you will find me. It's his promise to you. If you seek me, you will find me. And so God's not hiding from us. Let me give you an example of this. You know, when me and my kids play hide and seek, I'm their dad. They're the kids, right? I love playing hide and seek with my kids, especially when they're the ones hiding. Because I'm like, hey, I see you. And they're like, no, my eyes are closed. I'm like, yes, but you're right there. Like you need to go into another room. But how many of you know that when I'm the one hiding and they're the one seeking, the goal for me is not to stay hidden. The goal is to be discovered. Because there's not a lot of fun just hiding. Now, I've done this with Max sometimes where, because he's a little bit older, but he'll come into a room and I'm hiding somewhere and then he comes in, looks, and then he'll leave. And then I slip out of that room and slip into another room and, you know, kind of move room to room on him a little bit. But, But think about the joy that is had when you're found. There's not much fun in hiding. And the heart of really... And so even in that moment, I mean, the kids will scream and we laugh and we make these memories and it's awesome. 
But the goal of hide and seek with my kids is not for me to stay hidden. My goal in hide and seek is to have connection with my kids. So I, I want to be found. And I look forward to it. As they get older, the game will get a little more competitive. That will be more fun. <laughs> but really, it's, it's the delight of a father to be found. That's actually the heart of God. Is that it's his delight to reveal himself to us. He's not hiding from us. But it's his delight. It brings him great joy to actually reveal himself to us. So we were created for fellowship with God. The Bible says this, that we are hardwired for relationship. I was listening to somebody here recently and it was pretty, uh, it was an interesting statement, but they were uh, talking about this encounter that they'd had with uh, an atheist. They were talking about, and they were like, oh, I don't believe in God. And, you know, and they were kind of vehemently against and kind of voicing their frustration. And the guy just responded. He didn't try to argue back, but he just said, but, you know, and basically the guy was like, God's never done anything for me. And he just responded and says, but don't you miss him? And the guy just kind of looked at him. Like, well, I've never really thought about it like that. And sometimes for us is that, is that we actually have a desire to really have a connection with the Lord. I mean, it's what we were created for. Is that that true relationship? But we have to put some actions to our desire. And as we begin to put some actions to it, we can watch God actually begin to draw near to us. Why? Because he said, if you seek me wholeheartedly, you will find me. It's his delight to reveal himself to us. And so really, um, the only thing that's, that's holding us back from experiencing really who God is, is us. Like, I determine how much I seek the Lord. I can't determine that for you, and you can't determine that for me. And so the Lord will reveal himself to whatever degree that I'm willing to seek. And you may say, well, I don't know how to do that. Well, I've got, um, in January, we, it was on church news, but we're going to be doing 21 days of prayer and fasting. You're like, that sounds complicated. It's not. Is it intimidating? It can be. But we're going to have some devotionals. We're going to have some things, a daily devotional. It's a little booklet that you're going to be able to read. And every day there's a thought for you. And so for 21 days straight in January, it's, it's helping you establish or start some disciplines of daily connecting with the Lord. It'll take you about five minutes. We'll have some online content for you as well. All these things. And, and, and really my, my heart, my goal for you is that you start the beginning of the year seeking the Lord. Why? Because if you seek him, you will find him. And so that is the goal of that in that season. I believe how we start a year matters. And so that's why we do it. We do it every year. Beginning of the year, we're going to take 21 days. So it's January 9th through the 29th. Uh, you're like, well, why don't we start it on the 2nd? If I'm just honest with you, because I need some time to get off of Dr. Pepper. Okay? <laughs> like, I need to come off of the holiday season. I need to get my mind right. I need to get my body right. I need to do some things to get ready so that I have a successful 21 days. That's the honest truth. I know some of you are like, it should be the first thing. I'm just being selfish. Forgive me, okay? I need some time to get my mind right because, uh, yeah, I want to make sure I get the most out of it. And so, but we, we want to help you. And so, you know, and here's the thing, and this is what I would tell you about seeking the Lord. Is that I believe that when we seek him, and, and it's just a principle that I believe it's a statement, is that God is a filler 
He will fill the empty space that we create, but he will not force it. If I create space, God will come in and fill it. Well, dear, in 21 days of prayer, I'm going to create some space for God to come in and fill. That's what I do. That, that's why this is so important to me. And, I, and there's way more reasons for it. And so what I would encourage you to do and say, well, why are you talking about it now? We're not even in January yet. Because I want you to start praying and considering, Lord, is there anything you're asking me to lay aside? I mean, there's things that I automatically do. I don't even ask the Lord about it. I've already mentioned it. I will lay aside all caffeine and sugar for 21 days. And I'm going to lose a bunch of weight. Praise God. And like in a week, it'll all be back. But, you know, when I'm done. But I feel good about myself for three weeks, you know. I'm so disciplined and strong. And then I'm like chocolate, sugar, salt, <laughs> and all these wonderful things. But there are certain things that I lay aside automatically. And then there's other things I say, okay, Lord, besides this, what do you want me to lay aside? Why? Because I want the priority of seeking the Lord. Because I don't want to just go through the motions and, and lose sight of everything. And why? Because I really want to experience God. You're like, well, why does that matter? Because when I connect to him, I don't deal with loneliness. I'm not nearly as challenged. Doesn't mean that I don't have challenges. But they affect me very differently. And it doesn't matter how many people that I'm with or how many people that I'm not with. If I have my connection to the Lord. It is the most important relationship in my life. Because every other relationship and the quality of every other relationship changes when I'm in connection with him. When I make that that priority, that man, God, I'm going to seek after you. Why? Jesus came so that we could know God, so that we could have that relationship in truth, in reality. And so what does it take? I thought Jesus provided everything. He did. But when you seek me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Jeremiah 29, 13. We love that part. God's got a plan for me. It's good. It's for my blessing, not for my harm. But seek him. Like truly seeking, that's what the wise men did. In Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to read you a couple of scriptures here. I just, I love the heart of Paul. And, and, I, and, and again, this is, I believe if you hear this part and you really grab hold of it, Paul actually gives us the antidote to loneliness. I've already kind of said it, but he says it another way here in these scriptures. But in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, it starts. Now, a little bit of background. Paul was a genius. He was extraordinarily smart. Um, you know, I, he was valedictorian of every class. He was taught by the best people, best schools, all these things. And so that's kind of the background because he basically gives them his pedigree. And says, hey, here's all of my credentials. Aren't they impressive? And then he makes the statement. And so he picks up, so that's kind of the, the backstory of, of what's being talked about here in Philippians 3. And he says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He says, what is more, I consider everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. He says, I consider them as garbage. Now, he just went through decades of education, by the way. In what he had communicated to them. He says, hey, I count all that as garbage. That I may gain Christ. And here's the part I want you to catch. And be found in him. 
It's not enough to know about Jesus. Because that doesn't speak to your identity. That's not really who you are at your core. I mean, I know a lot about certain sports teams. I know a lot about the LSU Tigers. It does not make me a Tiger. Right? And here, Paul says, hey, excuse me. I consider all of my pedigree as nothing that I may gain Christ, but equally and maybe even more importantly, that I may be found in him. I would actually submit to you and ask you to consider the thought that you'll never actually know who you actually are until you know who Jesus is. Like you may have an idea of who you are or what you even like or what you think that you're into. And then Jesus changes everything. I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday, yesterday, day before, and we were talking about when I was growing up and this and that. And I played baseball and I love baseball. I mean, it was my whole life. I played year round. Like if there was a league, I was in it. I played all the, all the time from the time I was four into 17. I, I never took a break. I played year. I would, I was telling Darren this the other day. I had a baseball field set up in my backyard. I took my mom's laundry soap and made foul lines with it. And I would pitch and have imaginary games even by myself when nobody else would play baseball. I had a backstop with a strike zone. I'm back there pitching and throwing and hitting. You probably thought I was nuts, but I was in the backyard and just hitting baseballs by myself. Dream world, right? Broke a few windows, but you know, it's okay. But when I got saved, it was right before my senior year of high school. Should have been my heyday, right? You, you work all these work all these years to get to this point, and yet I, when I went back to school, because I, I really gave my heart to the Lord during the summer, went back to school, and you know, of course, on the baseball team, we start practicing this the fall, and we're getting ready, and. I don't know, I was about a, maybe two months into school. And I was just like, why am I doing this? Because I knew what the Lord had called me to do. And it was a really easy decision for me. So I went and talked to my coach and said, hey, coach, I'm going to quit the team. And he was like, why would you do that? Like, you know, I mean, this is, we were a pretty good team. And he was like, you know, you, you'll probably start on the team this year. And you've worked hard to get here. And, You've kind of paid your dues, if you will, for this moment. I'm like, yeah, but it's just not that important to me anymore. It, It wasn't that my love for baseball had changed. What had changed was me. And that I actually found something more important to me than playing ball. It was a really easy decision. Coach trying to convince me to stay. And I'm like, no, I'm done. I'm going to go pursue the thing that God created me for. And, and, and so, you know, and so when I talk about this being found in him, I mean, like really having that connection, that relationship. And really that identity and who I am, like I'm not a Christian by name. I'm not a Christian because I come to church. I'm a Christian because I belong to the Lord. That my life is not my own. That my life is a life of obedience unto the Lord. And and here it actually, Paul continues to speak here. And he says that I don't have a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. I don't, I don't, I'm not good because I obeyed all the rules. And it says, but that which comes through faith in Christ, that's trust, that's belief in Christ. Says the righteousness that comes from God is on the basis of faith. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection. If you weren't here last week, go back and listen to that message. The power of God is the the same power the Bible says in Romans. The same power that raised Christ from the dead will quicken and strengthen you right now. 
The same Holy Spirit that, that, that brought Jesus' body back to life is the same Holy Spirit that will breathe life into you. So he says that I want to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his, in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. He says, not that I have already obtained all of this or that I have already arrived at my goal. But he said, I press on, I seek, I, I, I'm focused to take hold of that. And I love this. He says, I'm pressing on to take hold of that which Christ has, um, for that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Love this. Like, I'm not just seeking after God. Like, he actually is grabbing hold of me too. Like, there's a, a, a connection, a relationship here. He goes on and says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of this. But one thing that I do, I'm going to forget the past and I'm going to strain toward what is ahead. And I press, I seek towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So even as, as I'm wrapping this up today, I started off by sharing with you about loneliness and how the holidays challenge us. In these moments and just life can challenge us with these things. And yet here Paul actually begins to give us some answers is that, hey, when we begin to, to seek the Lord, when we begin to pursue him. Then what happens that we can actually be found like our identity can actually become different than who we necessarily always have known us to be. Things that maybe we've struggled with for years when our identity shifts and we really come in line with who God is. And really who he's created us to be, something amazing begins to happen. Is we don't feel that isolation. Why? Because he's not just God for me. He's God with me. He really is Emmanuel. He's not the God who's afar off. He's the God who came near. He's the God who is near. And this is the relationship that we have. You're like, well, I don't know how to see God. Yes, we have 21 days in January. Start reading your Bible. Like read a chapter a day. You're like, where do I start? Read the book of John. Uh, the, John really has a unique insight and picture of a relationship. It's the most intimate of the four gospels of a relationship between John and Jesus. Just read a chapter a day. You're like, well, I, what, uh, three weeks ago. Go back and listen to that message. I talked about scripture. The whole goal of scripture is to find Jesus in the scriptures. That's the whole goal. And so part of how we can seek the Lord is in his word. We can seek the Lord just by praying. You know, every time you pray, you acknowledge the Lord's existence. Because if he's not there, why pray? But every time that we pray, we're acknowledging, God, I, I believe you're there. I believe that when I pray, Jeremiah 29, 13 says that if I pray, you will listen. That if I seek you, that I will find you. That I will pursue you. So Paul makes a statement and says, man, I'm pressing towards to win the prize. You know, my, my kids are really, I'm, I'm realizing that my kids are kind of competitive. I kind of like this, if I'm honest, because I'm competitive. But one of the things about competition is what? What's the, what do I get? Before we start the game, what's the prize? My kids always ask that. What am I going to get for this? Like, you know, they want to know the prize. Well, well, Paul here is talking about obtaining the prize. Well, what's he talking about? He's talking about a real relationship. 
That's the prize, that, that, that close connection to the Lord. See, the cure of loneliness is relationship. It seems simple, but it's very true. Relationships with others are good and they're necessary. And, and we're hardwired for relationship one to another. It's very important, but it's not ultimate. I don't care how many best friends you have. Which I argue you can't have a lot of best friends, but I have friends who have lots of best friends. I'm like, you need to go define the word best. I'll leave it at that. But no natural relationship will ever completely fulfill you. I don't care how many friends you have. I don't care if you've got the perfect spouse, if you've got the perfect kids. I don't care if you've got everything lined up perfect. You will never, never, never be fulfilled without a proper relationship with the Lord, ever. Why? Because that's the ultimate relationship. I said it earlier, when that relationship is right, it helps all my other relationships to be better. If my relationship, my connection to the Lord's not right, all of my relationships suffer because of it. But when I seek him, I find him. And sometimes I got to get my heart right before the Lord because I have my own agendas, my own things, and or whatever. Life comes, right? But when I seek him with all of my heart, I find him. I connect. And it's vital. Part of what happens when I have that connection with the Lord, and I believe it's twofold. When I make that connection with the Lord, number one, I, I have a realization and understanding that I am loved by him. Like really, like, not just the Bible verse, that God so loved the world that he sent his only, like, we can quote that verse, but do you really know that God loves you? Because when I have that connection, it's close. And I have that understanding that God really does love me. So when I have that connection, yeah, I feel love. But the other part of that, which is similar, but I also feel accepted. Like when I have that connection with the Lord, like he's not mad at me. He's my dad playing hide and seek, just waiting for me to discover him so that we can have a good time so that we can laugh and be together. And there's joy, like real joy, not just happiness, but like real joy in my heart, in my, in my spirit, in my soul. Like there's this connection. So when I, when, when that begins to happen, I have that connection with him. I find out who God is, but I also find out who I am. And at this point, for me, it reminds me of who I am. I've been doing this for a while. My relationship with the Lord. Sometimes I need to be reminded of who I am. Because in the past, I knew him, right? But then time happens and things happen. And, all, and I need to get away with the Lord and just say, God, I, I need to connect to you. But it's always interesting to me when I, when I, when I make that connection to him. Like, well, how do you, how do you, how, how does that work? How, what's the mechanics of that? What works for me may not work for you. I can tell you what I do, but it may not work for you. I do several things. It's not just a silver bullet one thing. It's like, oh, God shows up and speaks. But this is what I know. When I seek God, he speaks to me. When I don't, I don't hear him. It's not rocket science. Wise men still seek the Lord. Because there's a relationship and Jesus came so that we could have that relationship.
He became the bridge between us and God so that we could know him intimately and personally. And so I want to encourage you, even as, uh, the, as we're in the midst of the holiday season, this connection with the Lord, it really is the antidote. It is the remedy to loneliness. Because there's, there's real fulfillment. This is very, very practical. But you seek him. You just take some steps to begin to seek after the Lord. And so this morning, I want to pray over you, but I also want to give you an opportunity to really receive the Lord. I mean, the relationship with God starts with surrendering your heart to Jesus. It's the reason Jesus was, didn't come to be born. Jesus actually came to die. That's what the Bible says. But he came to die not for himself, but he came to die for us. The Bible says that he took all of our sin upon him so that we could be called and really be the righteousness of God. It means God's not mad at me. God's not angry. God's not looking to settle a score with me. Like it's all settled in Jesus. And so that, that happens when we surrender our hearts to the Lord. We call it salvation, right? Being saved. But really, it's a relationship. Yes, it's being saved from my past and what I deserve to get. Yes, it is being saved from that. But it's way more than that. And so, well, that sounds good. Maybe you're here and and you've prayed that prayer before, but you're like, man, I need to recommit my heart to the Lord. You can do that. But Christmas is all about relationship. That's what we celebrate. It's not about the trees and the lights and the fake snow and all the fun festivities. Nothing wrong with those things, but it's just, that's not the reason that we celebrate. We celebrate because God came for us so that we could be put in relationship with him. And so real quick, simple.